Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. In today's conversation, we'll be covering aortic abdominal aneurysms, which is a topic we're following on from our thoracic aortic aneurysm. So please go and have a listen to that topic as well. As always, we start by defining what we're talking about. So an aneurysm is a pathological dilatation of a blood vessel. You can have a true versus a false aneurysm, and for that, refer to our thoracic aneurysm talk. Abdominal aortic aneurysm is generally more common than thoracic aneurysms, and greater than 90% are located infrarenally. Some of the other definitions to be familiar with is fusiform aneurysms, and this is an aneurysm where the entire circumference of the vessels are involved. Secular aneurysms is where a portion of the blood vessel segment is involved in, instead of the entire blood vessel. Now, what are the pathogenesis of this condition? So aneurysms in general are ultimately a consequence of degradation or abnormal production of elastic and collagen in blood vessels, which we've talked about already. And for a more in-depth discussion, refer to our talk on the thoracic aortic aneurysm. There are some important risk factors to bear in mind, so an older age, age greater than 65, the male gender, if a patient has a history of atherosclerotic disease like previous cardiovascular disease, cerebral arterial disease, or peripheral vascular disease, and also if they have a family history of AAAs. Now, the risk of rupture really depends on the size of the aneurysm. A five-year risk of rupture for an aneurysm less than 5% is usually 1 to 2%, but a five-year risk for an aneurysm greater than 5 centimeters in diameter is 20 to 40%. Now, there's also the risk of formation of mural thrombone within these aneurysms because of the static or adynamic flow. And this increases the risk of peripheral embolization and essentially embolic disease. Now, what are the signs and symptoms that patients present with? Most often, these patients are asymptomatic and generally picked up incidentally on physical examination or imaging for another cause. The aorta can feel pulsatile and non-tender. When triple delays get enlarged, they can cause compressive or pressure symptoms, which can be painful. They can have pain in their chest, lower back, or the scrotum. Pain, in general, is a worrisome sign, as it could be the first indication of an imminent rupture. Now, this enlarging aortic aneurysm could also obstruct the ureter, leading to hydronephrosis. But remember, severe pain and hypertension could mean a ruptured aneurysm, and this is a medical emergency. Now, what are some differential diagnoses to keep in mind? The potential diagnosis could include an aortic dissection, could include a thoracic aortic aneurysm, could include an acute coronary syndrome or MI. And some of the other diagnoses include gastritis and gourd, because we are talking about intra-abdominal pathology, cholecystitis, pancreatitis, nephrolithiasis, and pyelonephritis, as well as bowel obstructions. So some of the things you need to keep in mind when you're working up a patient. Now, how do we diagnose these patients and what investigations do we need to do? Well, we start off with the easy things first. Let's look at some blood work, looking at electrolytes, looking for evidence of renal impairment, which may be suggestive of hydronephrosis or ischemic injury, although it's very nonspecific. You can perform a full blood count to look for signs of infection when you're thinking about pyelonephritis or a reduced hematocrit, which is lowered if there's rupture. You can consider group and cross-matching if you're worried about patients rupturing and you want to have some blood on hold. You can perform a troponin to rule out a myocardial infarction and follow that up with an ECG to further support presence of myocardial infarction and any other electrical abnormalities. A urine dipstick can easily be performed to quickly rule out pyelonephritis. If you don't see any leukocytes or nitrites, then you might not have pyelonephritis. But ultimately, imaging is the way to go. Abdominal ultrasound is a standard imaging tool that is used. It's non-invasive and can be done at the bedside, and it might tell us how enlarged the aorta is. But ultimately, CT abdo with contrast is almost 100% sensitive and useful for defining the extent and impact on surrounding arteries that the AAA has. It could also help us detect a leaking AAA. An abdominal x-ray may be performed, although not as useful. It could be potentially useful if you're suspecting a 
bowel obstruction, but in general, it's probably not as useful as some of the other imaging modalities that I've talked about. Now, how do we treat these patients? Well, as I mentioned, majority of patients are asymptomatic. Now, you should perform an ultrasound screening in patients aged 65 to 75 years who have ever smoked because they're at an increased risk of developing aneurysms. If you have detected an aneurysm, and that's between 3 to 5 centimeters, you perform an annual ultrasound screening to monitor that at AAA. If the AAA is 4 to 4.5 centimeters, you perform this every 6 months. Now, if a patient's presenting with those signs, signs of hypertension, abdominal pain, with a history of AAAs, you really worry about a ruptured aneurysm. And in these case, cases, this is a medical emergency. So you want to go through your ABCDs and ensure that the patient is hemodynamically stable, address any potential life-threatening complications such as bleeding or hypertension, manage their oxygen supplementation, and aggressive blood pressure control. Now, for patients who don't present with AAA, ruptured AAAs, you can consider pharmacological approaches by managing their risk factors, managing their atherosclerotic disease, managing their hypertension with beta blockers and ACE inhibitors, and encouraging them to stop smoking. If they do prefer a present with a ruptured aneurysm, though, you need to intervene. And this could be in the form of surgical or endovascular repair. And the decision to repair or choose surgery really depends on the operative risk, risk of subsequent rupture, and the patient's expected uh, life or life expectancy. If you have an aneurysm of 4 to 5 centimeters, you can also consider elective repair. And that's if the patient is young, if they have low operative risk, and you're expecting good life expectancy. Otherwise, we repair any of these aneurysms if it's greater than 5.5 centimeters. Now, this brings my presentation to an end. I hope you found it useful. And if you have found our talks useful in general, we really would appreciate if you could write a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, let your friends and other classmates know. And if you're a visual learner, be sure to check out our YouTube channel for notes and videos on the topics we're presenting. Thank you. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our core editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.